thank you for setting your podcast out of 14th and G. I'm your host, Dean Hinkson. Elliot said April is the cruelest month, but I would nominate February. Coming up on a full year of pandemic, lockdowns, and masks caught in the bitter cold of the polar vortex, sunlight's in short supply. And Congress has spent the month simultaneously consumed with the arcane budget procedure known as reconciliation in an attempt to pass yet another multi-trillion dollar relief bill and the second impeachment trial of President Trump finally concluded. I'd much prefer to turn my attention to a cold beer and some hot soup, but before I get to that, I'm going to turn to my two guests today. Perhaps I can bask in the sunshine of their relentlessly positive personalities. Very pleased to be joined by my colleagues, Republican Bruce Melman and Democrat David Thomas. We're going to try to break down 2021 in 21 minutes. Bruce, David, welcome to 14th and G. Dean, thanks for having us. You've set a very high bar for us on a very cold day, but uh, we'll try. <laughs> You're quoting Elliot. Is that from ET? Uh, that is T.S. Elliot, the wasteland. Ah, <laughs> he probably wrote more than uh, Elliot from, from ET. Is that the only Elliot you know? <laughs> well, guys, it was all compelling, uh, sometimes for different reasons, but... After the Senate got the budget resolution off the floor, they convened as a court of impeachment against former President Trump. He was acquitted over last weekend with a few surprise guilty votes by Republicans. The conclusion seemed foregone, but Mitch McConnell, having voted not guilty, excoriated Trump in a floor speech. The sentiments Trump returned in kind, as he is wont to do. Bruce, is this the main square off for the future of the GOP, Mitch versus the Donald? So what's interesting most to me, Dean, is that it's Donald minus Twitter. That's an animal we've never seen in the jungle before. And uh, everything we read suggests Twitter's going to keep him deplatformed, viewing him as insufficiently honest and excessively destructive. Um, it'll be very interesting to see. It suggests that the people he might reach at rallies uh, are, are the people who will follow him. McConnell's always been an inside player. There's no following for Mitch McConnell other than every Republican senator or almost every Republican senator. But for me, the most interesting person to have watched over the last three weeks, Nikki yeah. Haley. Yeah, who has requested an audience at Mar-a-Lago and was rebuffed. Uh, Kevin McCarthy went down and made his peace with the former president. We started the Trump administration with the lobby of the Trump Plaza, and the post-presidency seems to be conducted down at the southern former White House. It's uh, a lot of folks going to kiss the ring, but former Governor Haley is attempting to find that middle path that would seem to say, I want the Trump base, but I'm also willing to be somewhat critical. Usually the folks who are vying for the Trump base uh, are going out of their way to suggest that the president deserves the Nobel Peace Prize or the former president. And ultimately, the only way to possibly both win the primary and win the general is going to be trying to chart a path like Haley does to gain some separation, but not in a way that puts you in the Ben Sass category where uh, where you're writing off a whole lot of the Republican primary voters. Well, there is actual legislative business being conducted. Uh, the budget reconciliation effort uh, to get that COVID rel relief bill to President Biden's desk is being marked up in the House. You know, it's always amusing to see House members discover anew 
that the Senate Bird Rule is going to cut their provision out of the bill. It happens every time. Moderate Senators Sinema and Manchin have drawn some red lines. The latest flare-up is over minimum wage. DT, with such razor-thin majorities, can Democrat unity be achieved? And can they get it done by their self-imposed deadline a month from now? I'll take the last question first, uh, Dean. Um, can they get it done by March 14th, that date being significant because it is the day that enhanced uh, expire? So that's really what's uh, causing the sense of urgency here. I think they can, but everything has to go right over the next about three weeks left that we have here. So what are we going to see over the next week? Well, the Budget Committee is announced on Monday next week at 1 p.m. They will mark up the bill. From there, it will go to the Rules Committee, from the Rules Committee to the House floor. The hope is, is that by Friday, maybe it gets pushed into Saturday, the House completes action on that bill, and I think it will have the minimum wage in it. Then, as you correctly uh, state, it heads over to the Senate for consideration, where the most important person won't be Senator Schumer, Senator McConnell, Senator Manchin, Senator Sinema. It'll be uh, somebody a little bit more behind the scenes, but I know that you know Elizabeth McDonough who is the parliamentarian of the Senate, uh, who then has to determine what makes it to the Senate floor through the bird rule. And so uh, she uh, will make that call. And uh, what I am told is that the Senate, and particularly the Senate Democrats, are not looking at uh, rolling the parliamentarian here, that they will honor her decision. I'm hearing a lot of things from, uh, on the one side, uh, Senator Sanders and his group, why they do believe that it will comply with the Bird Rule. Others, not so sure. So that's uh, sort of the next big question coming down the road here, Dean. Yeah, and President Biden seems to have already moved on, particularly on the minimum wage. I mean, if they're not going to overrule the, the Senate parliamentarian uh, on a Bird ruling, they're just going to leave it for dead. Maybe for that particular bill, but I don't think it'll be dead in the eyes of the, you know, the House and Senate Democrats who who feel strongly about it. Um, if it is uh, uh, stripped from the budget reconciliation bill uh, in the Senate, the bill then has to go back to the House and get passed again, again, all before March 14th. And, and I think that is where the, the the real showdown will occur. Can President Biden, can Speaker Pelosi rally the troops to pass a bill that the president will argue is desperately needed to help address the, the COVID crisis and where we are, but doesn't have every Democratic priority in it that that uh, both he campaigned on and that the speaker supported for a long time. So uh, that, to me, is going to be the interesting part of this uh, debate, if that's where we end up. Well, David, speaking of President Biden, hard to believe, but we're only in the first 30 days of his administration. A lot of talk about unity from his inauguration speech to his continued public statements. Rhetorical unity, I have to say, is a nice change, but where it really matters uh, is bipartisan legislation. Uh, The administration sent a massive immigration bill to the Hill with only Democratic sponsors. Is this where we get a bipartisan product? I think there there are lots of opportunities for for bipartisan products here, but that of course requires both sides to to meet in the middle. You are correct in a big immigration bill uh, was uh, dropped by uh, uh, Senator Men- uh, Menendez and Congresswoman Sanchez uh, this week. That could be. I mean, there's general agreement that the immigration uh, system needs to be uh, fixed here. Can that be the place where there's bipartisan support? I feel like we've been waiting for that since, uh, what, back in 2006, Bruce? Is that when President Bush made his uh, attempt at uh, immigration reform? That was back when Marco Rubio was a, uh, a nice, moderate center-of-the-road guy. 
Actually, that was when he was the Florida Speaker of the House. I thought he was Gang of 13 in the Obama effort at bipartisan immigration reform that passed the Senate 2013. We'll have to rely on uh, DT that's, to explain us which that, gang that's was when which. Charlie Crist was a nice moderate Republican and Marco Rubio was the Tea Party upstart. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, I, he was I, Tea Party upstart in 2010. DT's going back to oh, 2006. Oh, DT, half our listening audience was in high school at this point. <laughs> Somehow I doubt it. But back to your question, Dean, uh, you know, immigration, uh, it's tough for me to see uh, a real bipartisan work there, but, you know, maybe. I think the infrastructure bill is going to be coming. Uh, the president's talking about it. He's invited a bipartisan group of senators down to the White House, uh, what, last week to uh to discuss that. We'll see whether people can meet in the middle there. Obviously, there's a lot of priorities here, but the lost art of compromise is something that uh, hasn't existed for a long time uh, in in the House and Senate. So uh, we're going to see if President Biden can pull it off. Well, yeah, it, it, it hasn't. But, you know, we're going to get here. We're probably going to have this COVID bill done uh, by April. Uh, we're going to be coming into the spring. So just continuing on that theme of your of your Democratic crystal ball. Is that where we go next is infrastructure because immigration's out there, climate's out there. Uh, this is the first year of a new president and that is the momentum year. So what's the, that's the next big priority for Congress and the Biden administration? What I'd say is a couple of things. He's, he's got he's always mentioned a couple of priorities here that that uh, every issue that he wants to tackle. It's it's covid. Uh, it is the economy. It is social justice issues. It is climate. So I think most issues you're going to see in there. What we know is going to be coming up uh, very soon in the House first week in March is going to be both in the social social justice bucket. There is the George Floyd bill. Um, and H.R. 1, which is the voting rights bill. So those are going to be coming over from the House. I suspect they'll both pass and get over to the Senate here. So we're going to see action there as well. So, yeah, he's got a, uh, you know, a big agenda here. But I, I do feel if he can get this first reconciliation bill done, it does open things up to take on a few more issues. Although, DT, while I'm going to agree with you that I, I, I think the prediction that 2021 will include an actual infrastructure week is is good money. Dean did ask the question. So, What's going to be the bipartisan vehicle? When is the unity going to come? I would have assumed that was the first COVID bill. I think infrastructure in theory until you, you know, that's a $4 trillion bill. That'll be too rich for most Republicans' blood. And then you try to pay for it and you'll lose any that you had picked up for bridges and roads and things. Uh, the immigration comprehensive bill, no way. If you go just DACA, sure, especially if you did something, you know, if you wanted a combo bill, you might do DACA and, and E-Verify, but I think then you'd lose too many Ds and you couldn't pass it. Uh, what I'm wondering, though, is I, I can't come up in my head with the obvious big vehicle. I mean, there's smaller ones like Section 230 maybe, but I can't. What, what's the big one? I'm always uh, entertained when Republicans uh, refine their fiscal discipline uh, roots here, which always, you know, did happen within 20 days of the inauguration. So uh, we'll have to deal with that. Bruce, I'll tell you what it is. It is the COVID bill. There's a new uh, poll out today by Navigators that has 73 percent approval for Biden's American Rescue Plan. And that includes about half of Republicans. Half Republicans in the Senate? No. <laughs> half the Republicans in the country. Yeah, but we, you know, And we're so talking the, local elected officials, mayors, governors. Here we go. Once again, the Clinton-Gore administration's redefining basic words we thought we understood. Everybody agreed bipartisanship meant legislation with Republican and Democrat co-sponsors. It sounds now like it's irrelevant whether you have the other party. You just need a poll that says you have voters from the other party. You know, ignore the pollsters behind the curtains who didn't get 16 and didn't get 20 right. 
I, I, that's, a, that's, you know, it depends on what the definition of bipartisan is as opposed to actually bipartisan. Speaker Pelosi always uh, points out when she talks about bills she's trying to get that public sentiment is everything. And she quotes, uh, there's a great Lincoln quote regarding public sentiment. Uh, the public believes you need another COVID bill. you got to keep in mind, President Biden was in the Obama administration, as were many of his staffers. What do they recall? Early on in, in the Obama administration, Senator McConnell said he wants to make Obama a one-term president. And that became the motivating factor, uh, I think, for, for Senate Republicans at that time. Um, that has not been lost on these guys. I think President Biden has, is reaching out in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. Um, he's a guy from the Senate. He's a guy from that body. He would love to have people, but you got to meet him part way. I found that uh, Senator McConnell's comments in the Wall Street Journal yesterday were pretty discouraging, where basically he said the way that he is going to rebuild unity within the Senate is opposing Biden. That's the way he thinks he can bring everybody back together on his caucus here. His goal is to retake and become majority leader again. It's not to work with Joe Biden to solve some of the biggest problems in the country. Well, Bruce, there's one area that seems to have uh, a lot of consensus, and that is on what's been called the tech lash, this sort of backlash against the technology sector. You know, in one sense, the, the tech sector is holding the remote world together. Uh, and on the other, there's just no love from any quarter of the political spectrum, it seems. Uh, just here in February, Senator Klobuchar with an antitrust reform bill that seems aimed at curbing tech. You had Maryland, uh, where the legislature overrode the governor's veto to implement the first ever digital ads tax. Uh, in Florida, Governor DeSantis wants to fine tech companies for censorship. But is, it, is tech lash like the weather? Everybody talks about it, but nobody does anything about it. I think to the contrary, it's, it's, uh, we're in an age of disruption. And more than any other factor, technology and new technologies, new information technologies have defined it. So think about today. Today, there was the hearing, uh, the Reddit Robin Hood hearing, where you now have a new force of regular everyday traders with extra cares money in their pockets uh, and time on their hands who are hopping, you know, who are ganging up together in Reddit and, and, and going on Robin Hood and putting the squeeze on hedge funds who are shorts. You know, that's really disruptive. You have Elon Musk out there buying and tweeting about Bitcoin as a potential alternative to the dollar that's now up to 50,000 or north of 50,000 a share. That's really disruptive. What do you do about that sort of disruption? Well, you have the new, the new app Clubhouse. In China, what they do is they shut it down because people are doing the thing you're not allowed to do in China, which is say honest truths <laughs> in a public setting that haven't been approved that inform people in China about things like the persecution of the Uyghurs. In, you know, in the case of Twitter, what they're doing is when, when people are yelling fire on a crowded theater, they're deplatforming them. That leads DeSantis to, to say, well, you know what we got to do is we got to find people. It's not going to happen. Same with Maryland, both those laws, even if they're in the case of Maryland, it is law, but they're probably going to be found to be unconstitutional. But where I tie it all together is everybody is trying to uh, get their brains around this new digital world that has been accelerated as a result of uh, 2020 and 2021. And the future of work is hybrid. The future of, of finance is digital. And from state legislatures to, to national U.S. Legislator, legislatures to places like the EU, everybody is struggling to find what are 21st century policies that are proper to address 21st century industries. 
Guys, let me ask you a question. I, I think, you know, not only impacts our politics, but the way we live. We're coming up now on, uh, we're going about to mark the one year anniversary, uh, since we were all together in the office. I think most folks around mid March, you know, went into lockdown. Um, you know, you, it, it's God bless the, not only the frontline health workers, but the grocery clerks and the people who still, you know, have to show up to work every day. But, you know, I see it, uh, whether it's kids in schools or people sitting on Zoom all day, uh, as we do, it is just taking its toll. And I'm wondering what you guys think in terms of how much longer this can go on. What's it going to look like, uh, on the backside of this thing? And, and what do you, what do you see in terms of when the, when the backside of this thing starts? Dean, I, uh, I recall sitting the last time I believe I saw you was March 13th. And we left the office and we went downstairs to uh, Ocean Prime, which is a uh, favorite watering hole of ours uh, uh, in our building. And uh, we had a drink and it sort of felt like, you know, ah, this is a, uh, sort of the last supper. We'll, we'll you know, see Easter. in a couple of weeks. Yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Easter, what year? <laughs> yeah, the wrong year. It's, uh, it's stunning when you think that we are almost, uh, you know, 52 full weeks later from, from that moment. But. Uh, you know, as I look at the, uh, you know, the, the numbers every day for the rates of infection that are dropping and uh, as we're ramping up the vaccine getting out there, I'm, I'm optimistic. Uh, it feels like we're starting to get on the other side of this thing. And I'm hopeful that uh, as it starts to warm up, that maybe we actually will be able to, uh, to, you know, to get back together with people and have some sense of normalcy. Uh, I will, you know, acknowledging that there are strains out there and we have to remain vigilant. And do we ever go back to, you know, March 12th of 2020? I don't know. As spring is uh, starting to uh, come up here and I'm starting to see the, the bulbs come out of my uh, front lawn here, I'm, I'm optimistic that maybe better days are close at hand. I will see your optimism, DT, and raise you my toxic positivity. <laughs> um, I'm I'm way hopeful, you know, Dean. It's it's uh, there are plenty of things, including our our political environment, that worry me, uh, and the lack of trust and the lack of truth. But on the virus, I I, I really do feel like the the miracles that are these vaccines are are extraordinary. We're getting near to two million a day of people being vaccinated, and the distribution hiccups are getting better. Uh, particularly, the people who are getting vaccinated are the people who are at the highest risk. And so while I think we're probably, you know, the disease goes from pandemic to endemic, I think it also goes from a level of risk that it's at to a lesser level of risk and one that we can manage. I think that leads to a pretty huge relief rally across the economy. And I think a lot of the things, a lot of the innovations, a lot of the processes are going to stick in ways with a hybrid future that can make us you know, more innovative, that can make us healthier, that can make us more productive. I mean, even something stupid that we've been doing at the firm, having those Zoom leadership series conversations. We used to have a book event and you'd get like 40 people you could fit in the conference room. Now we're having 200 people with guests from all around the world. That's really cool. Same for the podcast. You know, you can get guests that would never have walked into our little broom closet studio on the 11th floor. It is really an insulting studio as podcast studios go. Like it, you wouldn't want to bring anybody respectable into that literal closet. Uh, Dean, I just think you got to charge Bruce for that plug. shameless plug shameless. of his Zoom leadership series. <laughs> They're invitation only, DT. They're not like the slide deck where I'm begging people to uh, to it's share. It's just like Clubhouse, invitation only. 
Yeah. Right. Well, God willing, we will all be together again uh, in person and soon. Bruce Melman, David Thomas, thanks for joining me on 14th and G. Thanks, Dean. Thank you, Dean.